millions of Christians face intense persecution and risk their lives for the sake of the gospel. Vom Oz Radio supports persecuted Christians, giving a voice to the testimony of those who have been denied a voice. Our programs inform and encourage Christians in Australia and around the world to mobilize and to stand with our persecuted brothers and sisters in Christ. Welcome to Vom Oz Radio, voice for the persecuted. Welcome again. My name is Todd Nettleton. We're in our studio today with Pastor Hannah Massad. He is the former pastor of the Gaza Baptist Church, and we'll talk a little bit about that ministry and about that work. He is also the author of a book called Pastor from Gaza. Pastor Hannah, welcome. Thank you very much, Brother Todd. It's great to be with you. Well, we are thrilled that you're here. Let's start out with a little bit of your testimony and your background. How how did you meet Jesus? I born and grew up in Gaza. My parents belonged to the Greek Orthodox Church. As a young uh, person, we influenced by the Muslim culture. But um, in age 15, 16, uh, my aunt, who's born again Christian, uh, invited me to come to youth meeting in Gaza Baptist Church. And uh, I was in a shock in a good way uh, for the first time almost in my entire life to hear the message of the gospel, simple and clear. And at that time, I felt the Lord minister to my heart where I start to experience his forgiveness, his love, his peace, and the intimate relationship with him. And I start to grow in my faith. And um, this is how it started. And uh, praise the Lord uh, for how he works in our lives. Amen. As a young man, a young boy in Gaza, you're from a Greek Orthodox family, a Christian family. Were you treated differently by your your neighbors or, or people at school? Did they say, oh, you know, that's the Christian? Or, or how was that to be known as a Christian? Um, yeah, unfortunately, uh, even in a young age, age 10 or 12, you realize uh, that you are different and you've been treated different. And uh, one of uh, things uh, in the young age where, you know, our friends or people in the community make the sign of the cross and spit on it. And, you know, as uh, that age, it's difficult. So you go back home and sometimes you didn't really have answers about this kind of struggle and this kind of persecution, even in a young age. But uh, that uh, created uh, things inside of you that you really need to know your identity, who you are and what you believe and why you believe. So when I've been invited in a young age uh, of 15, you know, I was my heart wide open and I really um, amazed and blessed to hear uh, the message of the gospel and who Jesus is. And it just made me so proud that I belong uh, to wonderful Savior, wonderful Lord. So you met Jesus, you came into fellowship with him. How then did he call you to be a pastor uh, to, to lead other believers? Well, that's really one of the greatest blessings uh, in my life. I was a lab technician, uh, you know, before the Lord called me to a full-time ministry. I worked in a lab in private Christian hospital in Gaza for four years. And then the Lord uh, opened the door for me when the Gaza Baptist Church, the same church where I got saved, they called me to be their first local pastor. I went to Bethlehem Bible College, uh, 87 to 91 
And uh, after that, you know, while studying and passing at the same time, the Lord opened door for me to go to Southern California, Pasadena, to Fuller Seminary. And I did that from 91 to 99, even though I was pastoring a small church um, in First Baptist of Azusa, California, but the Lord put in my heart in 1999 to go back. So I went back to the same church, Pastor uh, Gaza Baptist again, and also joined the faculty of Bethlehem Bible College where we have extension in Gaza. After growing up as a Christian in a Muslim context— how did you look at Muslims now as a pastor? Did you see them as kind of the persecutors, the enemy, or did you see them as, hey, these are these are people I want to be in fellowship, I want to talk to these people? How hard was it to sort of see them as a mission field instead of see them as the people who made fun of you when you were a kid? You know, when you experience um, the love of the Lord, you cannot help but just to love everyone. And when you are forgiven, you also want to forgive others. And this is uh, what the Lord put in our hearts, uh, his love uh, for others, uh, including our neighbors and our community as well. And to, and we, as the children of the Lord, um, our bodies become the temple of the Holy Spirit that we, by his grace, carrying his presence wherever we go. And as the scriptures say, when they see your good work, uh, they will glorify your father who's in heaven. What was the church like at that time? Well, when you went back and became the pastor, how big was it? What Was it like you had a building and everybody knew, yep, there's the Baptist church? Was it kind of an underground quiet meetings? How, what what was it like on a weekly basis for the church? We start uh, with a small, uh, very small building, and uh, later on, the Lord really blessed us with the property uh, we bought uh, as a church, and we have six floors buildings oh, and wow. dedicated for the ministry and for the work of the Lord. Like the first two floors is used for the only Christian public library in the whole Gaza Strip. And also we have uh, a floor where we worship and where we meet and uh, at that time, we thought we want to have the clinic, but unfortunately didn't uh, work out. But the building is still, you know, dedicated uh, for the work of the ministry. And we have about two, more than 200 people we minister to in a week, including 100 young people and the children, where we have a one club and a youth meeting. And it's just been a blessing uh, to reflect and to share God's love and to reach out to his love, you know, uh, in the community and even to the wider community. How much did you think about risk and danger as a pastor in a very Muslim context? Did you think about, you know, hey, there's some people that hate me. Hey, this could be dangerous for me. Or did you just kind of think, you know, I'm, I'm doing what the Lord called me to do? Um, well, uh, Gaza, it's not easy place. Uh, as could you imagine, we live between two fires. Um when I lived in Gaza, where you have the fire of the militant in one hand, who is not happy about who you are and what you do, but also the fire of the political situation in Gaza as as well. And also the fire, was, which is kind of a friendly fire, if you will, of the traditional church. And really the big question, how to keep the peace and the love and the respect in the midst of all of the challenges and how you're able to reach out with um, his love. And this is really the difficult situation. It's shaped us to be who we are and what we do. And uh, there's time what was very difficult, and maybe we can talk uh, 
little bit about that later on, about the fire of persecution and the honor and the privilege. I feel really God allow us to go through that fire and how to reflect his love and uh, how he continue to work alongside of every one of us in this journey of life and journey uh, of faith. There's a lot of challenges. There's a lot of opportunities. I remember even uh, when I started as a pastor, uh, two men came to our uh, house uh, where I was still single and live uh, under the ceiling of my father. And these two young uh, Muslims unfortunately came and they started to threaten us. And that was a difficult time. Like what did these two men say? With the details, it's, you know, about, you know, who you are, we're going to tell um, the mosque, we're going to tell the religious leader and uh, like, you know, kind of clear a threaten. Like uh, trouble is coming for yeah, you. You, yeah. you need to stop what you're doing. You mentioned the between the two fires and the, the different sort of ways that you had to balance out. How did that affect what you did in ministry? I mean, did you kind of have to think through, okay, what will the terrorists think of this? What will the government think of this? What will our neighbors think of this? You know, how how much did that affect how you made decisions and how you planned ministry? It's really um, the big question, especially when you go through a difficult time or through different, you know, persecution. You ask yourself, what is really my priorities? What is my call? What is really the most important thing for me in this life? You know, of course, my faith. Uh, of course, my family, of course, the ministry which God has trusted with uh, in me. And uh, in the same time, you know, seek his wisdom, his insight, and how to reflect his love, um, when to talk, when not to talk, uh, how to approach others, and how to reflect his love. So you started out as a pastor, as a single man. You're now a married man. <laughs> when you decided to get married and when your wife decided to marry you— did you have some conversations about, you know, you're marrying me, but I've already been threatened. I'm doing something that's risky. Did you talk about that as you as you thought about your marriage and as you thought about starting your family? And um, of course, she knows. Uh, you know, God called me, and uh, the, she called. She realized the ministry is not easy, but she's willing uh, to walk. You know, um, that journey, and um, that we take the journey together. And thank God. Uh, we did, and God continued to, to lead and to guide us uh, and to bless us in what we do. Just a few months ago, we had a conversation here with Pauline Ayad, uh, the widow of Rami. You, you know her, you know them, knew them. When I say Rami, Rami was a worker in the Bible Society in Gaza. He was kidnapped and subsequently killed. What do you remember about him, or, or what picture comes into your mind when, when I say his name? Mm. Well, it's very emotional, very difficult, uh, but also I think it's an honor, you know, the Lord allow us uh, to be together. Um, yeah, my wife was the director of the Bible Society, and they work close uh, with Rami. And, um, you know, even a little before that, uh, we start to experience persecution, you know, in Gaza through where the Bible Society been bombed a couple of times and— um, Remember when I received the phone call because the alarm system, you know, in uh, our home connected with the Bible Society. I never forget, pick up the phone and they say there is a bomb, you know, in the Bible Society. Another time, um, like 2.30 in the morning, you know, um, 
laying on my bed and the phone rang, you jump, you know, uh, jump from my bed, pick up the phone and there's there's a huge bombing. And I remember uh, driving in the empty street of Gaza 3 a.m. and I have Rami in the in the car with uh, with a few other young people from the church. And uh, even remember <clears throat> standing in the front of that site where is the bomb. And I just felt the Lord, even in this difficult time, minister to my heart. And um, uh, as I asking, you know, what's happening, what's going on? And I just felt the voice of the Lord deep inside say, Hannah, as I was with you with the first bomb, I will be with you at this time, fear not. And uh, then the unthinkable happened. We'll hear more from Pastor Hannah Massad in just a minute. But first... I want to share some thoughts from Pauline Ayad, the wife of Rami. Here's some of what she remembers about the day Rami went missing. At six o'clock, uh, someone called me from Rami's phone. I told him I want to a clear answer. Where are you? He told me I am on a long trip and it will take a long time. But it was Rami's voice. It was Rami who was talking. Yeah, it was rhyming. This was the last time I heard his voice. Uh, at six in the morning, Rami's brother called me. Uh, he told me that they found Rami killed. And they already talked to the police, and the police found his body. Did you feel like God had let you down? At the beginning, yes. Um, at the beginning, I blamed God. Uh, at that time, we had bought a new home. Uh, we were just preparing it and getting the house ready to move. I was pregnant four months, and Rami was studying at the university in his last semester. So I start crying, why, why God in this time? Nothing is complete yet. God, why this happening to me now? But God right away gave me a verse. Everything worked together for good for those who love God. But back then, I refused the verse. What the good thing that will come through killing my husband? So two years before this, Rami had been a banker, a nice, comfortable, safe job. He goes into ministry, and two years later, he's killed, two and a half years. Was that one of your questions to God? Why did you call us into ministry just to have my husband killed? Yeah, not exactly that question, which is, if you want Rami to, to get killed for you, why you let me get married to him? That's a fair question. Did, did the Lord answer your question? I believe that God prepared me for Rami, for ministry. What Rami started, it's time for me to fulfill what he started. That is what I believe. That's Pauline Ayad remembering the day when her husband, Rami Ayad, was martyred for his faith in Christ and his ministry with the Bible Society in Gaza. I know you'll be encouraged, and I know you want to hear the rest of her side of this story. Our guest today is Pastor Hannah Massad. He was the pastor of Gaza Baptist Church when Rami was killed. Pastor Massad remembers working on his sermon on that Saturday night until about 3 a.m., getting ready to preach the next morning. He then tried to call Rami. There is no answer. 
And I remember a couple of hours after that, uh, just uh, I heard somebody above my head screaming, crying, shouting, and it was my wife. Um, she tried to wake me up because she just received the call that they found mm -hmm. the body. You know, I jumped from my bed, didn't know what to do, where to go, and what we're going to tell Pauline as a young widow. So as you could imagine, it was a tough times. In that time, you know, the Lord continued to teach us um, to trust him and to walk uh, and continue this journey of faith and journey of life. And uh, our life after that never been the same. But it's an honor he really gave us uh, to know Rami, to love him and to serve. He has wonderful heart. He loved the Lord and his dedication uh, to the Lord and to his family and to, to the community and uh, his kindness and his love uh, for all people. Um, it's uh, wonderful memories in spite of the pain and the suffering. How, how did you and your wife think about the threats? I mean, obviously, there there had been bombings. Her work at the Bible Society is very dangerous. Then Rami is killed. Did you start to think, we got to get out of here, or we got to do something different? Or did you just think, this is this is what it means to serve Christ in Gaza right now? You know, when uh, these things happened uh, uh, with the first bombing, we closed the Bible Society for a month. And then, um, you know, uh, so had as the director of the Bible Society with the headquarters in Jerusalem, they decided to open the Bible Society. The second bomb, which was much worse than the first, but they felt they want to continue. So they didn't really close the Bible Society. And uh, they fixed it and, uh, you know, they went back to it. And uh, the owner of that building, he uh, get very upset uh, because of his property and so because we were renting at, uh, at, at that time. But um, it wasn't uh, an easy time. But then, um, as I mentioned, the unthinkable happened when Rami, you know, um, um, kidnapped and murdered and uh, this militant group, uh, they went after team members, and uh, we felt uh, our life on the line and the uh, life of other families. And we really didn't want to leave because we, uh, especially, you know, as a shepherd, I want to stay with the right. people. Uh, but in the same time, I felt my heart is torn because it was very difficult for my wife uh, because um, she felt she's responsible. And I saw her almost melting in front of me, and I felt I need to take care of my family. So this is why I torn inside. So, but in the same time... Um, you know, it was become really dangerous. So my family and about six other families, we evacuated from Gaza to the West Bank. But we thought we were going to come back, you know, after a few weeks. Uh, but the Lord have really another another plan um, because we're not able to get visa for my wife to come back home. In, in that season of, you know, the bombings and then Rami's murder and then leaving, how did the Lord— minister to you and kind of sustain you through that period? Um, you know, we become who we are and continue to grow because of the honor and the privilege really the Lord allow us to go through. And I'm, I'm fascinated by the, the thought that you call it a privilege. It was a privilege to go through that time. Can you un unpack that? I mean, most of us would say, no, that wasn't a privilege. That was dangerous. That was a threat. 
that was a, a terrible situation. You say privilege. Why? Yeah, and that's an honor. Um, that uh, because really the desire of our heart to live for the one who gave his life and Jesus, um, the sinless, uh, the loving Savior and Lord, gave his life for you know, uh, voluntarily forever. He laid his life, and what is better than we live for the one who gave his life um, for all of us? Uh, so this is why um, we feel it's a privilege and honor uh, to live for the one who gave his life for us. And really that the Lord sustained and the Lord helped us through the things he taught us, you know, at the darkest hour of our life. Um, I just want to say, uh, Brother Todd, our faith will not be tested when everything is going fine. Uh, my faith and your faith will be tested in the most difficult time of our life. And this is what James 1, chapter 1, verse 2, when he said, <clears throat> Consider it all joy, loved one, when you throw, go through different kind of trials. But then he said the testing of your faith. And the word testing in the time of James, uh, it used to examine the coin at that time, if it's genuine or not. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is the time uh, when my faith and your faith will be tested um, in the most difficult time of our life. And uh, either, you know, we use it in a way pleasing to the Lord and bring glory and honor to his name. Or if we missed it, you know, we have to repeat it and uh, to learn again what the Lord really wants to teach us. That's Hannah Massad. He is the former pastor of the Gaza Baptist Church. He's been helping each of us to view trials and persecution as an opportunity to test the genuineness of our faith. We know that Jesus suffered for us, and because he lives in us, we have his ability to suffer any difficulties that we experience. You can hear part two of my conversation with Pastor Massad next week. Christians in hostile nations may live far from us. As believers, we know that we are one with them and part of the body of Christ. As such, we can't ignore their suffering. If the Holy Spirit is impressing you to know more and support the work of Voice of the Martyrs, please visit our website at vom.com.au. All donations of $2 and more are tax deductible in Australia. This has been a production of Vom Oz Radio, Voice for the Persecuted.